wasn't answering, that's why. There we go. So welcome to It's About Time. I am floored to have you here with me today. And I feel that it's going to be a very emotional um, episode for myself. And I'm happy to have you here to kind of anchor this conversation with me. Today's guest is Jade Chitkan, um, a multifaceted writer, blogger, entrepreneur. I'm going to get straight into your bio and then we'll discuss further. So Tiara J. Chipkan is a, a book blogger, writer, and editor born and raised in Toronto. Her love of literature led her to start blogging and sharing her reads, particularly those by BIPOC authors. Through her blogging, Tiara has had the opportunity to review books for Harper's Collins, Penguin Random House, and ZG Stories. Tiara's Indo-Caribbean heritage is extremely important to her, and she strives to create representation for her community. Her writing is geared towards exploring the Indo-Caribbean diaspora and history and culture. Tiara is the editor-in-chief at the Brownville Diary and marketing coordinator, coordinator excuse me, at Diaspora Dialogues. She is a regular contributor for Brownville Diary and Caribbean Collection Magazine. Tiara is also working towards a certificate in creative writing from the U of T. Tiara's first book, Two Times Removed, an, anth an anthology of Indo-Caribbean fiction, was released this May. She is also developing a short doc in on Indo-Caribbean representation in Toronto. And guess what I got? Ah, you have it. I did. I did. I bought it. So welcome to <laughs> It's About Time. So Tiara, the goal of It's About Time is telling people the story that everyone's respective, unique story of making it happen. And this is phenomenal. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I get so excited every time I see somebody holding it. It's still so like surreal and crazy to me to even like literally see people holding this book that was at one point literally just like a Google Docs folder full of like word different word docs. And then, you know, it's just it's crazy to think that it's it's this thing and it's real now and people have it like so I have to tell you I'm not not in a you know arrogant or cocky way but usually people send me things you know to review or to talk about um but i saw you post about this and i actually bought two copies my one for myself and one for a friend who she and i are embarking on these very deep conversations of belonging and understanding and trying to grasp our indian culture roots in a west indian diasporic Canadian lens. It's a very unique thing we're going through and then we came upon you and I, I was very happy to get this and pay for it, okay? I was happy to buy <laughs> this and I wish you much success with it, but let's dive in. Let's yes. do it. Tell me, tell me a bit more about yourself and this journey you've taken on. For sure. Um, you know what? I think so... This journey has been probably one of the craziest and very like unexpected things that ever I, I ever really like came across um, because it first started for me about uh, two years ago. So like 2019. Um, so at the time I, I had just turned uh, 23 and I was in that very like weird early 20s space in my life where um, 
you know, nothing made sense. <laughs> I had really very little direction of where I was going with my right. life. And that was causing me a lot of, you know, that panic of like, oh my gosh, I'm in my mm-hmm. 20s now. I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. It's all be figured out, quote unquote. Exactly. Okay. You know, right. feeling like I should have things figured out. And I, you know, I knew people who were ready, you know, were, you know, were the same age and they had, they had moved out and were in condos and stuff like that. And I was, I mean, I like even right now, even still, I still live at home, but I mean, it's that, that, and that's by choice, but it's, it, I was seeing things like that, like people getting like cars mm-hmm. and condos and stuff and having like their, you know, grown up jobs. And I was realistically nowhere close to that at the right. time. I had just very little, um, little inclination of where I was going. Um, Cause I, I was in school, I was in college, you know, as most people are at that time, yeah. but I had dropped out of school because I realized like the program that I was in just wasn't, wasn't best suited for you. Exactly. It okay. wasn't, it just wasn't suited for me and the industry, the, I guess you could say the rules of that industry weren't, the weren't really fitting to what I would have wanted you know it it wasn't something that I could see myself playing within and living within over the course of like a 40 50 year career until Mm -hmm. I retire one day Mm -hmm. um and then amongst this like free time that I had during this period is where I really ended up on this journey of going through like my ancestors my culture and things like that because again I was like I'm 23 and I know nothing really about like my past or or things like that I I barely really even knew about like my great-grandparents right not even terribly far removed um from from you know my generation now but I didn't know any of those things and what had happened was it was just through like scrolling on Instagram I came across uh Gayutra Bahadur's Coolie Woman um I came across people talking about the book and I was like oh this is this is interesting I I really I hadn't heard of the book and I had no idea it existed so I I instantly (laughs) instantly like Amazon bought a copy got it in two days because of Prime and and just like immersed myself into reading it mm-hmm. um, and that that kicked it off for me and so it changed what, the game for me right so it's a game changer but I haven't read it yet so I have just started this journey and I want to first tell you I'm considerably older than you and <laughs> the fact that you had that thought when you did is great not to say that you know the fact that I'm having it now isn't okay I think the first thing we have to give ourselves is like grace because I recall being at your age range and thinking I needed to know more and the reality is we know exactly what we're supposed to know when we know it because had you been laser focused on a specific industry then you would not have been open to stopping and taking a break from what you thought you needed to really open yourself up to where you're guided now and what you really need to know and I'm sure since you've taken that pause, even though I'm assuming your parents were like, I say, what, what you're stopping, but. Oh yeah. They were, they were really mad about that decision. And then now you <laughs> see that it's kind of like helping all of this stuff flow through you, you know? So back to the book, because I've just learned about it myself and I have a, I have a date with it after this, um, Tell me what are some of the takeaways from that? Because it's almost as if, hun, tell me if I'm wrong, are the, the I don't want to use the word Bible, but it's the book Indo-Caribbean women or people have as a reference. And then everything comes from there. 
it's um well for two times removed my my goal with two times removed was to basically depict different experiences of you know this this new generation of indo-caribbeans right so people who are who are in my age group um you know give, you know give or take i'm 24 now turning 25 next month but you know people who are just within like their teens to even like early 30s so that was kind of like our age range in that sense because in past you know books I've read collections I've read you know there are so many Indo-Caribbean authors are you know coming out with their stories especially nowadays but I still find that our the younger generation hasn't fully been fully you know had a place yeah yeah, in, in Indo-Caribbean literature, we haven't quite made, you know, made those those strides yet for, and again, it, we're, we're young, so it's not to say it wasn't coming, but, you know, again, like, we're young, and, and finding your, your place to tell these stories takes time, right? So I had connected with so many writers, again, who are in my age group on, through Instagram and, and whatnot, and, you know, exchanged stories and read their work, um, whether it was through Brown Girl Diary or just on our, on our own speaking, and I was like, you know, the, these people are so talented mm-hmm. and they write very, really well. You know, I enjoyed their, I genuinely enjoyed their writing. And I think it would be nice to, to put something together that shares these experiences, you know, mm-hmm. because for, for many of us in, again, this generation, um, we were like, we were born, you know, in, in North America, all the writers in two times removed are from Canada and the United States. Okay. So all of us we're, were like, born from, not just emigrated. Yeah, we were, you know, our generation was that first generation who was born in North America, or, you know, for a couple people who weren't born here, they immigrated very early. So, you know, children, like, very, very young. So still the majority, like, the vast majority of your life wasn't spent back home, you know what I mean? So you were, you grew up in North America, that's, that's really the upbringing and the environment that you know. And the thing is, we still go home to, you know, parents and family that, came from back home and you know had those experiences and all those things influence our identity because even though absolutely even though I was born in Toronto and raised here and everything like that I'm still very much you know in tuned with at least I I like to think to a degree I'm still quite in tuned with you know my culture I'm half Trinidadian half Guyanese so I get a bit of a, a mix of the two um which is always very cool but it's just it's things like that that still influence my identity influence the way you know absolutely maneuver my way through the world (laughs) and the the decisions I make absolutely and what's really interesting is we all go through this so I'm based in Montreal and I bring it up only because the Indo-Caribbean community here is much smaller than in Ontario, right? And everyone here, because I've, I was also born and raised here, everyone feels like family. So everybody is by proxy auntie and uncle and all of their children are by proxy my cousins and or brothers or sisters. That's how we grew up. And I feel like I have my like tentacles in my community to an extent, but I also never fully understood why I never felt a part of it because it wasn't a hundred percent for me right I still was straddling this line of being Canadian which which I only recognized later in life meaning I would get people asking me you know why my English is so good or oh you could put on the accent when you're ready and I'm like well 
I guess I can because my parents are both Trinidadian and they both have very strong accents. And I definitely, whenever I'm talking about my mom, that's the only way I know how to do it is by using my accent. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the reason I bring it up is because I, I definitely had to straddle this kind of where do we fit in? And growing up, the only things that I saw that were any form of representation was always Black. So I also very often felt unseen. I often felt unheard. I often felt that we didn't have a place and or our place was so small that it wasn't significant enough to talk about it. And it was hard to advocate for myself or anybody else because there was nobody else because my community of Indians are so much smaller here. I didn't really even feel like I had a place or a space to take up. So I'm, I'm bringing that up because I'm really happy that you saw an issue and very rightfully decided to speak on it, you know? So do you feel now that you're being used or turned to as the, the expert on the topic? um a little bit yeah I do find you know one thing that I guess has come come out of it and even I'd say before before the book as well just through the the things that I'm involved in like being involved with you know brown girl diary which was you know a community that has grown in exponentially really in the last year since since our team was put together our team was put together in April of last year uh 2020 and at first you know the platform only had about 900 followers and now there's over 11,000 and this is all within a little over a year so being involved tell me tell me about the brown girl diaries because that's how I actually initially heard or found you because I look yeah. for it so tell me about it absolutely so brown girl diaries was started in uh 2019 by my friend ashley abdul she was the one who started the platform and then uh put together the our our executive team uh last year which is consists of you know myself as the editor we have you know community outreach our social media coordinator our linkedin coordinator um our research coordinator uh, all the different roles um and and at first it was six of us last year and now i now i believe there's nine of us um all together so our team grew as as the platform grew because we needed uh more people to help out and and you know take on more of the the roles that were coming with it and essentially brown girl diary was aimed on you know creating representation and resources for for Indo-Caribbean women Um, but I feel like now it's it's become much more than just Indo-Caribbean women it's it's really become the community because so much of the information we share and resources we share in is of course not specific to any you know gender or anything of that sort there's there's history there's culture Mm -hmm. there's so many different community features we do and all that stuff is literally just it's it's for the community and um as well, you know, programming and things like that was also part of, you know, our, our, our plan. And we have some of that stuff coming up. Um, and last year, you know, it, it, we had to put a, put a bit of a halt on certain things because of, because of COVID, COVID right? and we couldn't do, you know, in-person things, but we still did a lot of panel discussions and things of that sort, Instagram lives with people in our community to, to do those conversations and interviews. Um, just to always keep the information flowing and, and things like that. And for me as the editor, I get to I get to connect with our community members all the time because people submit blogs, whether it's about their experiences, things that they've learned, they're, you know, it's it's there's such a range of topics. And mm-hmm. if I get to read them all, I get to, you know, 
<laughs> worked worked through them all, published them all. And I, I think it's so great because again, like I, I learned so much from everyone else. And then of right. course I, I get to contribute to the blog too. And I get, you know, I personally love history and I, I tend to write a lot of history related pieces. So that definitely kind of related it back to like, like how you mentioned being a bit of a resource. Because I think because I, I, I tend to write that, that sort of genre of being informational. Right. And then you know, I have, you know, my pages centered on books and things of that sort. It, I think it's definitely made me a bit of a resource um, just because I, I, like I spend a lot of time doing research and reading mm -hmm. and, and collecting that information. And also for the purpose of literally sharing it with people, because when I was looking for all these things, it can be difficult. It can be difficult. You have to go through a lot of Google pages. And I think if I can help in any way, make anyone's journey or just help them get access to that information right. a little bit easier, that's like, that. that's a, like, you know, like that's job well done for me. Cause I, like, I know how hard it can be to leaf through all those pages. So right. I, I really like to try to be able to help out like in any way I can with anything. So I'm curious to know with all of the things you've read and researched, what are some of the things that have resonated the most or had the biggest impact that you researched I think out of I think out of a lot of the things that I've read some of the biggest ones that have really stuck with me is anything that has had to do with the experiences of women um, in the past whether it was the experiences of women on indentureships or once they you know reach the Caribbean and their experiences on plantations and even to like you know the older generations like my grandparents generation and things like that you know the societies were very were very based in you know religion um things were very strict that very like strict mm -hmm. uh you know indian hindu society and things like that and a lot of that was you know imposed um you know those expectations and those rules were imposed on women and the things that were you know things were that were allowed I guess you could say and things right. that weren't and just as well as the way women were were viewed in society and what you're, you're treated right exactly you know so, and also reading about the I guess the toxicities that exist in our society things like you know domestic abuse which we know uh is, is, is an issue and alcoholism and a lot of those things again the effects fell on women in some way or the other right. and right. that's always that, that always sticks with me because I think it's so crazy that you know even although we still have ways to grow even right now in 2021 we've come so far and right. I feel like even for our female ancestors seeing how much we're we're able to accomplish now as Indo-Caribbean women would probably probably I have them in tears <laughs> absolutely absolutely and you know what's also interesting as I'm even having this conversation with you I feel we need to take a couple of steps back because you and I are talking about a topic that you and I know about so I feel like I need to I need to be more specific about the journey in which and how we actually did arrive here um, because I don't know if this happens with you but a lot of times when people ask me where I'm from and I say my parents are from Trinidad they're like oh like I don't understand what what do you mean because I'm, I'm not a black person and it's almost as if there's no understanding that there was other forms of indentured working or even slavery that happened and neither one is better than the other it's all part of the history of all of us and I find I'm always doing like a history lesson for people for them to understand <laughs> how we arrived so instead of me giving the history lesson how about I turn it over to you to explain how 
brown women and men, so Indian men and women were um, were planted or, or removed from their homeland and found themselves in the Caribbean, not just in one part of the Caribbean also. <laughs> exactly. I think I think one thing even just to uh, mention off the top too is that what's often left out is the other places where indentured workers ended up like, uh, you know, F- Fiji, Mauritius, um, Mm-hmm. you know Suriname places like that because those are like those are other places that people ended up and I find that they tend to be they tend to not be like spoken about as much you know people always know Trinidad and Guyana being like the two top ones just because so many so many of us did end up there probably the two highest populations right. um, but I just want to point that out too off top just because you know we do have we do have like our you know our, our brothers and sisters out there who were from those places who right. were taken to those places as well and are very much part of this diaspora but um, you know it, what had happened in general was after the abolition of slavery of course having built you know 300 400 years worth of empires the British were certainly not going to let them go down without a fight and they they looked for a way to replace the labor and only now you know they had to get to put in some sort of payment to make it fit in within the new regulations however meager that payment might have been and so they went to the Asias and looked for people who could replace that and you know India was the the largest place that they ended up picking up workers and bringing them over they also picked up workers from China as well that's mm-hmm. also something I think people don't really uh, think don't about or talk about. about yeah but there are exactly Caribbean you know chi- Chinese people in the Caribbean who came over as well um and men and women came over as indentured laborers. They were signed to contracts, usually for three or three to five years. And you know what they were actually told was that they would get a return ticket back home at the end of their contracts. But that for, never came. Exactly. If, it, for some people, some people did get a chance to go back, but it was probably like maybe 10% of that entire, you know, amount of hundreds of thousands, I think close to like a million uh, Indians were brought over and dispersed throughout the islands to work on plantations and things of that sort. And we went to, you know, Trinidad, Guyana, uh, Barbados, Jamaica, um, St. Vincent, all like all over and then including places I mentioned before like Suriname um, and and Fiji and and things of that sort and Mm -hmm. yeah so we came over um were brought over and and filled in on that plantation work until it was again indenture abolished uh I think it was around uh 1917 to 1920 it was kind of like a process within those couple of years um, after some really big riots and things happened on, on some of the plantations throughout the islands. And um, that was that was kind of that was kind of <laughs> the, the, the journey that we had we had gone through. The, that, that was endured. And what I guess I want to like drive home was that this, the, the treatment was by no means wonderful. Right. And yeah. what what I've always found to be so painful is that it was, you know, sold as if it would be this awesome opportunity. And exactly. the reality was it, it was a horrible, you know, boat ride. Some people didn't make it. Some people were treated poorly as they were like, you know, on the boats as well. Um, the one major difference that always stands out to me is that the religion that the person came with, which was most likely Hinduism, they were able to keep right whereas for African slaves that were coming over that was completely taken away from them as well their names and their 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 religion and they were given this 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 
umbrella Christianity that they had to envelop. That was what they were forced to do. Where the difference was, you know, Indians were able to keep their religion and, and practice how they saw fit, but they were not treated well. And I feel that if you talk to people that talk or know a little bit about this, you recognize that there's this class division or this feeling of, I don't want to call it animosity, but this very like equator line shifting place, like a tectonic plate where you talk race and race relations when it comes to being in the islands. In your, in your research, do you ever come upon that or do you feel it's more in terms of solidarity now? Um, I think so. I have I've read I have read a lot of things that had to do with, you know, the the race, um, the, the different things that went on with the races in the Caribbean. Uh, and I know, you know, politics played a huge role mm-hmm. um, amongst that once we got out, out, you know, out of the indenture era, out of just that era of people being, you know, <laughs> laboring under whichever circumstances but politics played played a big role um what i had recently actually written a piece on and dove into was in, in guyana there was in 1964 something called the wismar uh massacre and it was it, it, i mean it was really horrific mm-hmm. um and it was very much driven by the politics at the time. So at the time there, there was a, you know, party leader in Guyana who was, you know, Afro-Guyanese and very much, uh, you know, sent, sent out a lot of really, really hateful messages towards the Indo-Guyanese community. Right. And um, there, what had happened was, you know, thousands of Afro-Guyanese had stormed into, you know, um, Indo-Guyanese homes and businesses and things of that sort and basically you know uh, bombed murdered raped a lot of people um, and and thousands of people were you know displaced after injured um, hurt you know all all types of things like that it's uh it's just it it was a really horrific event and a lot of it was really driven by the political climate after that um, and and during the time and then you know, he had, he, that party leader had gone on to rename uh, the name of the, the uh, town or the village that it happened in, uh, renaming it to, to his name to kind of put out like a message to even after the incident happened. Um, and the crazy thing is that the incident happened on the day that is actually Guyanese Independence Day, what was chosen to be Guyanese Independence Day. Day. So the incident happened uh, May, May 26, 1964. And then in 1966, they, they, they dubbed May 26th uh, Guyanese Independence Day. But what it seems was why the state was chosen, it was chosen very pur- purposefully and also to kind of, um, you know, blanket over this incident. Because now when you think of that date, it's, it's very much associated with celebration. With right, right. Exactly. And it's never, um, you know, this this massacre and this incident is not very much mentioned. And because, again, being such a horrific and traumatizing, of course, thing, a lot of people they Blaze they, over it. They don't want to exactly. talk about it. And the people who lived through it or had, you know, family who lived through it, same thing, like people don't want to don't want to talk about it. And I mean, I, I can totally understand why people wouldn't want to talk about it. It's again, like, if you even read about it a little bit, you're like, oh, my God, like, just the fact that that this happened. That somebody was able to incite that kind of hatred towards somebody exactly. else it works for a population to go after another. 
1964 was long ago, sure, but it wasn't that long ago. That's exactly what I was going to say. And it also informs how, you know, just one generation or two generations past see things and feel towards people. Like, because you may not remember what somebody says to you, but you will remember how somebody makes you feel. And I I think I'm just kind of circling that too, because I, I don't have any specific memories growing up where somebody said, you know, somebody is good versus somebody is bad, but I can always tell that there was something in the air, right? When I would go home to Trinidad to visit, there was always something that was very clear to me that you stay here and you stay here and we don't connect. And that's not my experience here at all. That is the last thing that I experience here. (laughs) I mean, because I've already explained, we have a really small East Indian and West Indian community. Everybody kind of gets along. Everybody, everybody's everybody. And love is love. Like everybody connects here. And it's such a different way of growing up where I feel my family home doesn't understand it because they don't have that experience. Did you, did you grow up facing any of that? Um, no, honestly, well, for me, I, I mean, growing up probably really realistically until I got to college, I grew up in an area that was primarily white. Um, so there weren't necessarily a ton of, you know, Caribbean people, you know, Indo or Mm. Afro-Caribbean people there, there eventually were, but even so it wasn't, it wasn't plenty. Um, but once I got to college, you know, a a lot of the friends that I made were, again, um, they, they were all afro-caribbean they were i still hadn't really met a lot of indo-caribbean people it was kind of crazy um but again just just off the the merit of us all being of caribbean background it it really it really didn't even matter because and you know for me growing up no one ever knew where i was from so it was a constant act of explaining and you know people still you know didn't understand and be like okay but like where is that or you know but why do you look Indian or even if you you know people I grew up with for years and they would still be like yeah but you you, like you look Indian and it's like okay but you've known me for like 10 years now and you know what my background is and we're still gonna play this game of like yeah but you look you know x y and z and it's you know it's very frustrating and annoying you have to explain yourself all the time or your validity all the time yeah But once I got older and, you know, I met, again, like a lot of Afro-Caribbean people um, who were like friends and things of that sort, people just knew, first of all, where I was from right off the bat. Like people would just be like, hey, are you Guyanese or Trini? And I'd be like, both. (laughs) And it was just, it was so easy because it was like, they just knew I was one or the other. And then it was like, okay, well, I'm both. So you're not wrong regardless. And, you know, it, like even my boyfriend, my boyfriend is Afro-Guyanese, he's full Afro-Guyanese. And that was just, we connected literally just off the merit of our guy, like our being Guyanese, you know, yeah, yeah. nothing, nothing even to, and uh, we've been together for six years now. And it's like, we've still haven't, we don't ever really like break it down, like to the difference of like, oh, well, you're Afro-Caribbean and I'm Indo-Caribbean. It's like, yeah. like we're just Caribbean people at the end of the day, you know, so I'm happy. I'm I'm super happy you say that because it's the same experience for me. And I'm saying that just because my, my like partner of 11 or 12 years, who's now my husband, he's Afro Caribbean as well. And it's never once come up the Indianness or the blackness of us in terms of why we work. We definitely respect that in one another. And we've learned from each other because now, you know, he tells me about curry chicken and things and I'm like, oh yeah. 
and how to make roti. Oh yeah. And you know, he doesn't tell me anything like that, but just as a joke, like he's definitely adopted all of the Indian pieces as well as my, my religion, which is beautiful. And I, the same with him. And I'm just happy that our generations can do that. The purpose of this podcast is to have conversations that are difficult and to have conversations that maybe make you think differently. And for me, usually I prepare questions and I, you know, do some research on the person. But for you, I was stumped. And this is why. And it's a nice thing. I was stumped because I was looking at somebody who could be a cousin to me. I was looking at somebody who could be my blood, who could be a younger cousin, a sister or something. And it was welcoming to me. But it's equally shocking because it's still not happening often, right? So I was just like, wow, where where are we going to intersect with our similarities? And I'm happy to see that it's everywhere and it's plentiful, right? Like your experiences are mirrored by a lot of the experiences I had. And growing up in elementary school, there was myself. That was it. Everyone else was Italian or white of some sort. There was one other East Indian boy. And then when high school hit, I was like, what do you mean you're from Trinidad? I can share this with you guys that there was a boy from Trinidad, but he was black. And I went home and I was like, mom, he's not my cousin. He's not my brother. Like, I don't understand. Because at this point, my nucleus, my world was my family, right? And so every time we had a line where we had a get together, it was all my aunties and all my uncles and everybody was auntie or uncle and everybody was from Trinidad. So I was just like completely dumbfounded that somebody could be from somewhere else. I was like, what? What do you mean? And then I saw my mom be like, oh, I did you a disservice. Like I didn't break down for you what you need to know, right? And when I, I remember being much older, older and feeling so embraced by that same feeling right because I'm like same thing like yo you just go where you fit in and you fit in where people understand that you couldn't be out at a certain time you had to be home by a certain time licks is a real thing (laughs) you're like you just you know you know where you fit in and you don't have to like break it down like oh I'm not allowed to be out until 10 30 when I'm only four like it doesn't work for me that was my biggest problem in high school I was always the person who had to go home first and be home by like eight o'clock everyone else was allowed to stay out till like 10 o'clock none of my other friends at, at that time were Caribbean and their parents were okay with it and mine were literally what do you mean you sleep over at someone's house yeah we don't do that no my my mom would be texting me like it's it's 7 50 I need to see you through this door in 10 minutes meanwhile I'm there like oh yeah I'm waiting for the bus and I really wasn't even waiting for the bus but I would do my best to push my limits but either way like I still was always the first person to leave but no one really understood that they're just like oh just lie to your parents just tell them you're like eating dinner here I'm like no that don't work that does not work that's not how it like that's not how it goes and it's nice to laugh about it because it doesn't happen and trust and believe it won't happen for my little one either you need to be home when mommy says come home (laughs) even though we're Canadian like you know I think a lot about the resilience of our parents and as I've become a parent it's shifted how I see that and I'm sure in the research you've come upon you must see this thread of like sheer wowness you know what I mean like this opportunity to say oh my god you have endured and you mentioned something a little while before that you know they don't talk about it nobody I have ever met in my family has ever spoken to me about a tough time a situation that they may or may not have needed help to overcome nobody has ever spoken to me about how they arrived where they did it just is and you know it's part of my nature to discuss and ask questions and I've seen 
some people are really open to discussing and other people are like, it's past, it's over. We don't talk about that. This is where we are and this is all we deal with now. Have you, have you ever had an open conversation to try to find your family lineage? Was it an okay process? I, I have, um, and it's so, still something that I'm, I'm very, very actively um, going through and, and, and things of that sort. But my, I mean, my parents are quite open about talking about everything. And especially like now being like older, you know, there's nothing that they, they really, well, actually I can't say anything. They like, they don't hide anything or like keep anything from me at this point because, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not even like, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to know everything I need to know, you know, and it, yeah. I need this information to, yeah. to navigate my own life, to know what to do, what not to do, right. and right. things of that sort. But my parents are extremely open about talking, talking about things and um, things of that sort. What I've, what I need to, I think, personally do myself is start to have more conversations with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so my dad's, my dad's mom, passed away uh, years ago in 2018 um and my biggest (laughs) regret I think right now too is that I really never asked questions back then um I still you know at the time I was still a lot younger I was like 21 I think yeah like 21 when she passed your journey hadn't started in that sense exactly one the journey hadn't started and two it was also kind of like you know how it is to there's certain questions that you don't ask older people you don't push yourself in certain business and things like that and there was you know certain questions that I had that I just never thought was appropriate Mm -hmm. to ask or to poke or you know prod into those types of matters um but again now I'm in a place where I'm starting to I've like I've made a beyond started to stick my nose into things you made a business Um, out of it girlfriend so you have (laughs) the right in a sense to ask those questions but but it's it's still it's still very difficult. Uh, I like I don't know my my dad's father. Um, he was never in the picture. My dad doesn't know him either. So that's a whole lineage that is right. a mystery to me, um, and that I, I'm trying to poke my nose in and dig into. But it's it's difficult. Um, no, for it's sure. Difficult for sure. And it's it's stones that is is haven't been turned in fifty years. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But I, I'm still, I'm still trying. I'm still trying to do that one, um, and it's, it's active. It's active. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to hear. I do definitely have the regret that I don't have any grandparents to ask. And you know, growing up, my my ignorance was so deep in terms of not knowing anything that I was like, yeah, it's six or seven or eight generations, but it's not. It might be three, might be two. I really, well, at this point, it would be three or four, and I just, I. I don't know the real answers. I don't know where, you know, we come from. And a girlfriend of mine, um, she traveled to India. She's Guyanese, she's Guyanese Indian. She traveled to India for work and she was floored, she said, because she met a woman from Nepal who could be her sister, who looked exactly like her. And she was floored because she's now like, I need to learn more. I need to see more. And I told her straight up, I'm like, I don't think I'm ready for India. I don't think I'm ready for that journey. I'm not ready because I feel so unequipped. I would love to go one day, but I feel unequipped because I'm a Hindu woman who only speaks English. I don't speak the language. I don't understand it. I don't know how I'm going to be received, which I mean, I'll definitely like rise above that and head over one day. That's not so much the block anymore, but it's almost like, wow, there's so much I, I wish I knew more of and not having a sense of our language 
or any language, right? Because India is so vast and we could be speaking so many different types of, of, of dialects <laughs> and languages. Exactly. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Mind you, I kind of love having it be simplified and we have English because there's just so many pieces that, you know, are unknown. But once again, nobody talks about it. Like, I, I don't know where to even pick up this this journey so what would you tell somebody who was kind of a bit lost like where would they start I think the the easiest thing I think that everyone has to do is you just have to start with who's around you you know if you you know I mean as, as long as you have your parents grandparents aunts uncles like whoever whoever is available to you whoever is accessible to you you have to ask even if it might feel awkward if you feel like you're you're poking into business or like I don't know you feel like if it feels uncomfortable but realistically it's kind of like what's the what's the worst thing what's the worst thing that could honestly happen Mm -hmm. by you asking a question you know what I mean and you know it's your family members you just have to approach them you know approach politely let them know what you want to what your your intention is like hey like I've just I want to know more about our family and I think as long as you come with the right intentions and you know you just approach everyone properly I like again like the worst thing that could happen is they're just like I don't want to talk about this and if you ask enough times chances are someone will open up to you you know like eventually Mm -hmm. and again so that that's what the family is here for and it's also like one thing that really dawned on me too and again in my grandmother's passing is like you you don't realize when everyone's here that one day they're not going to be here right not here is when you lose a link you lose a link to a story you lose a link to information you know and I mean I still my grandmother's had had you know a lot of siblings so I still have access to her siblings to ask you know questions I might have but it's still not the same it you know it's still not it's not my grandma right so it's still a bit you know a little bit different I don't see them that family very often you know and then I just kind of pop in a Facebook message like hi I have a question so sometimes I feel like oh this might be like awkward but I'm like again what's the worst thing that could happen like right so my family you know and again people are still quite open and even you know aside from family you know google google search read articles read pieces because I find that even through reading it's helped me put together a picture of of this these time periods and societies that I wasn't a part of you know I wasn't around in you know the 70s Hindu Guyanese communities to understand what the society was like what the you know what the environment was like but I've gotten that through I mean family stories as well as through reading and reading those pieces to understand what the climate was like what the what the societies were like what you know what the overall kind of I guess you could say like cultural norms were and things like that, that help you kind of put pieces together. And it's really helped me put pieces together even right now to trying to like, trying to track on my dad's side and figure that out. Cause mm-hmm. again, those are links that I like a lot you of those no longer have. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm trying to ideate and put together pieces and things of that sort and having some of that background knowledge is helping me think like okay well what was what was it like in the 70s when grandma was like 30 you know what was it like for her okay I can kind of like put these pieces together and figure like you know she she's coming from a Hindu family there was definitely expectations of what she should be as a woman and you know what was expected of her and what like you know her community would have expected things like that 
And so, you know, I, I'm once again really impressed that you've taken it upon you, but it, if I peel back a few layers, it's almost as if it it presented itself to you when you were looking for it and you didn't know it was what it was, right? Like it really yeah. is, it was the beginning of your um, un unraveling to be put back together in a different way. And there's a wholeness now to you, I'm sure, that you didn't even know you needed. You know, like there's, there's, a, there's <laughs> yeah, a absolutely of wholeness. And if if somebody were listening now, even if, if they're not Indo-Caribbean and they have their own, you know, what like, that's one thing I love about us is we all come from somewhere really interesting. If somebody were just questioning that, I like how you said to just start asking with your make your family. But in terms of emotions and in terms of like a roller coaster of what you've gone through or, or are going through what can you expect like what what has it been like for you <laughs> um I think first I think the the biggest thing I'll say is to expect the unexpected because mm. when you're peeling back layers of different generations and you're trying to ask questions from 50 60 maybe even 100 maybe even further you know maybe even 150 years ago you never like you honestly never know what you're going to come across you really don't and I I've found that myself you know you you might have like a bit of an idea but even so like it, you just when you're asking those questions and you're digging through things you really never know what you're going to come across what story you're going to hear what experience or what you know just what's going to come of it mm -hmm. and it's it is it's definitely an emotional type of like roller coaster because you're mm -hmm. like you sometimes I catch myself and I'm just like wow <laughs> wow <laughs> that's crazy like those are just like the moments I have and I have to just kind of kind of sit in it and you know I mean appreciate the fact that I've been able to do this and also sometimes it's funny to me because I feel like I'm like wow I feel like a bit of like a super sleuth like I'm just like figuring out all these mysteries <laughs> and asking all these questions but I think you kind of have to put that hat on um yeah. you have to kind of put on your your you know solving a mystery type hat and try to think you have to think outside the box as well you have to ask questions that you you may not like there's questions that are very obvious that you would ask but then mm -hmm. you have to sometimes think outside the box and think okay I you know I don't have this link or this link but maybe this person has a sister who has a cousin and maybe I can find like you have to kind of really look at like the other pieces that you're missing in the puzzle and try to work sometimes from the outside in in, when you're not able to work from the inside out you know right right and having lots of missing links as we many of us do just because people are aren't here even trying to like look for records and things or like the that. documentation isn't there exactly exactly a lot of that documentation and our our ancestors you know a lot of them didn't read or write or at least didn't read or write in English so things were passed down orally and as people passed away and generations went on information was lost yeah so you have you, you have to be very you have to be very open-minded in how you're thinking and trying to like you know structure your your journey just because sometimes it's it's not the obvious question but then it's that unobvious question that might actually open the door to that other set of questions and that's a, and <laughs> I, that's I a hope that game. makes sense yeah. but it's, it does. It's, it's like a maze it really is well you know I can't believe the hour is already almost up and I just want to take a second and pause and just reflect with you that what you're doing is really important work 
And, you know, you said something at the very top about how you were seeing your friends around you and they had it, you know, sorted out. And I feel like I can equally relate to that. And maybe everybody listening or watching can relate to that <laughs> because we all think that, and it's the system or society, whichever you want to look at is set up for us to look at it that way. You're supposed to know what you want to do after high school when you walk into college and be set with that. And then once you get that, you're supposed to know what you want to do if you want to go into university and like do that further training or start working. And you're supposed to want that forever. And that might be the biggest lie we push on people because when you're 16 or 17 or maybe 18 finishing high school, there you are no longer ever going to be that person again. Like that, you are who you are today and that's it, right? So how can you walk into the rest of your life thinking you're going to be doing something forever, right? I never understood that. When I was 17 years old, I had, I mean, you know yourself, but you don't really know yourself. You know, I feel like you don't really understand yourself and know yourself kind of really realistically until you get to this kind of like 24 25 stage because even to like last year and the year before I still I was still learning a lot about myself and Mm -hmm. it really hasn't been until the last year that I've started to put the pieces together and realized where my where my passions lie where the things from my childhood that I really enjoy doing you can come into my adulthood now and those are the things I always enjoyed writing when I was a kid I loved writing you know fictional stories but I also loved history when I was a kid. I used to love reading about like ancient Egypt and hieroglyphics and things like that. I've always been into that history, but it never, when I was in high school, it didn't click. And when you're in high school, you're in this bubble of high school and trying to like, you know, learn how to put on makeup and look pretty and fit in and things you're not even you're not even fully thinking you know and and that's why I'm happy you bring it up because everybody goes through it and people people who are honest to look at it and break away from what they're supposed to do tend to then go towards whatever their passions are. Like I, I've shared this on the show before and I can share it now. I, when I was five, I knew instinctively I wanted to be a teacher on TV. Like it had never, and it's always been that, but life has showed me that it's a different form of TV and it's a different form of teaching, but it's still the same feeling of getting to have an audience to connect to something, right? And so who I was at five obviously isn't the same, but that <laughs> guiding principle is like that thing that ignited in me, right? And so you found, and I'm happy you mentioned it, you found, because I was going to ask what ignited you as a child that is still there, because that's the intuition that's speaking to you. You know what I'm saying? Like that's exactly. that, that's what was guiding you from then. and we never really stop and put, you know, stuff on that fire. We try to step it out, but we don't try to fuel it. And so at, you know, 23, you had a moment where you had to fuel your fire and you did. And that in itself is a scary thing because a lot of people (laughs) wouldn't. So I want to just like give you that moment of like, you know, good on you and congratulate yourself for doing it because now I can feel that it's guiding your next steps. You said you're in U of T, you know, you're at U of T doing creative writing, which is only going to make you a stronger and better writer. And it's going to have you open up to different possibilities. And my hope or my wish for you is that, you know, you continue to do this kind of groundbreaking work for our community because it's been a very long time. We have not had a, like a voice and we haven't had an opportunity to really dig in. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you're doing this and that your, your spirit is so aligned with this 
work in fighting to find answers that I, I'm excited to see how your journey continues to mature and, and, and just like bloom, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I appreciate that so much, honestly, because, you know, sometimes I think like just with anything, we all have like our doubts and our, our moments where we're like, am I doing the right thing? Or is this, you know, is this helping? Is this helpful? You know, because sometimes I wonder that too, when I'm doing certain things, because a lot of the things that I do is very motivated by, you know, the community and the community that I, I've now built through like, you know, my my Instagram page and things like that. And I'm like, is this, is this going to be helpful? Is this going to be useful? Because that, that's really what I what I strive for now a lot too is like I want to create things that are helpful you know I want to create things that are going to be are going to be useful to our community in some way even with two times removed even though it's you know fictional stories I felt that it was a project that was helpful to our community in so many ways because mm -hmm. the stories are able to people are able to connect to the stories it's able to give all the writers a chance to have their their work shown to all these people so I felt like it was useful and it was impactful to so many levels and so many different groups in our community and I find myself having that thought process so hearing hearing this for example right now or when somebody you know sends me a message uh, dms me and says you know i i'm so thankful for the, the books that you share I, I never knew there were so many indo-caribbean books like things like that it's it's really like it, i like i don't know it's it might sound corny but it like it makes my heart just like so, like you know it's just oh my god like it makes me feel so like so happy in that way I don't think it's corny I think this is <laughs> this is my truth now this is what I think happens when you're living on purpose and you're doing things on purpose right so the the dm of somebody giving you thanks is so much more fulfilling but also you've made a conscious choice to be a resource and to share information I think you know you're, you're, you're going to be 25 soon. So you've obviously grown up with social media. Like this is something that everyone in your age range and everything, they, they've had it all the time. And so I'm <laughs> yeah. seeing this really beautiful shift and I hope I continue to see this where people are really, you know, turning off what doesn't serve them and turning on and tuning into what does because we have choices for so much, right? So you've made a willing choice to kind of share information and learn and dig deeper that you're you're helping people at all levels, right? All ages, all ranges, and somebody who is just interested. You don't necessarily even have to be Indo-Caribbean. You just wanna know, wow, I never knew how there was such a huge population of X in Y and why that is. And it's so, it serves so many needs and I feel, when you're on purpose and living in your purpose, that everything kind of comes together to the point where it's a little bit like overwhelming and people don't believe it, <laughs> yeah. so, but, but it's true. Like it just thing, things just come flying at you and how we manage that part of the journey is also interesting, right? Like how we, how we really take the time to curate our lives according to where our purpose is is passing through is really interesting. And so you're, you're taking the time to do that. And I just want you to, to, to reflect on that also. Like that's my wish for you because it's gonna keep going really well. That's my wish for you too. And this I'm sure is the first of many. I'm sure will be the first of many. And you know, stay, 
stay true to this. And I welcome you back anytime to talk more. Um, before we wrap, I just want to leave you with a couple of things. Feel free to share all of your social handles and let me know and let us all know if people are listening and they want to get involved or they want to learn more, how can they? And also, if there's anything I didn't get the chance to cover with you, if you want to talk about it, do it. Go, go ahead. <laughs> for sure. Um, for, so for social handles is primarily my Instagram is, is the hugest one that, you know, you can, of course, DM me or, you know, well, yeah, DMs are like literally always open. Feel free to message me at any point. But my Instagram handle is at bookworm babe and it's babe with two E's because <laughs> um, the one without the two E's was taken at the time. Right. Um, so that is my Instagram handle. And yeah, like I said, you know, DMs are always open. There's feel free to scroll through the feed because there's a ton of like books and book recommendations, especially if you're looking for, you know, Indo-Caribbean books. There was a lot that I read last year and now into this year. So sometimes you got to scroll down to find the other ones. But if anyone ever needs help with anything or like looking for anything, you can always, of course, DM me and, you know, I like, I'm always open to helping out with anything I can. I, you know, I was, I was hesitant to put this out at first and say this, but I feel like I just have to now. Um, you know, Two Times Removed has gotten like more than I could have imagined and more than I could have hoped for of a reaction mm -hmm. and a response. And I have had people say, you know, if you're gonna make a second one, please let me know and things like that. And so I, I have full on fully decided in stone to do a volume two and okay, I'm going to, you. I'm going to take on that, that journey once again. Um, and my plan is to release again for next year in May um, because May is, you know, the Indian arrival month and things like that. We do so much to recognize our heritage. And because again, in this book and in, in this series, now, I guess we can call it, we're recognizing heritage. That'll be when it'll, the second one will come out. I am going to be putting out the, the call for submissions in the fall so if anyone is interested and looking to be a part of the next one definitely keep an eye out for that and you know I'm, again on my Instagram pages where the call will be so I would definitely uh, suggest give me a follow on there so we can connect and things of that sort and be on the lookout for that because we are going to do volume two uh, and keep keep this keep this series going because I feel like I feel like it's really necessary um, and it's really doing it's really doing more than I could have imagined um, and I want to I want to keep it going. That's what's up. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm happy to see that you're using this momentum. And I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to stay connected. That's what's up. And I really do um, thank you for sharing your time and also letting people know that this is a really rich and like, you know, entangled set of history that is, is scary, but it's beautiful and it's resilient and you know, it's what made us who we are. So we have to also give thanks for it, you know? So I think that, you know, our ancestors are looking back and saying, hey, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> I think so, too. And again, like, I mean, thank you so much for, for having me on and, and inviting me and reaching out. And, 
you know, everything. And I really appreciate it. And this has been such a such a great conversation. And I, I always enjoy talking about these things. <laughs> um, you know, when it, when it comes to the history, talking about the book is one thing, but I always enjoy having conversations about our culture and our history and our experiences. So it's just, it's nice to always connect with someone and just continue to see how, how we all relate, you know? Yeah, for sure. And before I actually close, close, I'm, I'm really happy to, to chat with you too, because of our age difference. I'm a little bit like happy also to hear that our experiences are really parallel, right? In terms of like, it wasn't just me who had to go through it that way. (laughs) And like, we all find a way to make it make sense. And that's really refreshing to me to know that you, you wanted to learn and dig in deeper and you've got that journey started. So I wish you luck on it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to It's About Time. I want to thank you for listening. If you're listening versus watching, I'm grateful to you. And my name is Zita and this hair is Tiara. And um, on our show notes, you're going to see all of her handles. So don't worry. If you want to get her book right now, go through Amazon. It's called Two Times Removed. I also love the artwork on it. It's really, really pretty. Um, It's really trying to understand and unlock the mysteries of how and and what happened to a number of Indo-Caribbean people, how we how we became where we are. So I feel connected to you just for that reason. So give thanks to you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. We'll talk again. Take care.